0: Welcome to Self-Care Hacks, the short podcast for overwhelmed and stressed out women who want to learn how to take better care of themselves. I'm your host, Anita Ojeda. I used to suffer from overwhelm and stress too, but I've learned how to take care of myself and take care of others. You can too. Today, we're going to talk about depression. Not the most exciting topic to talk about on a nice spring day, but hey, we've all felt a little depressed at times. In fact, I've been there. I've lived with a, why do I even have to get out of bed today mornings, that pressed me into the mattress and made the down comforter feel like a lead blanket. Sleep seemed like the perfect alternative to facing a day filled with rejection and crushed hoax and the quotidian routine of eat, sleep, work, repeat. My guilt had guilt babies. Peter had experienced a miraculous recovery from cancer, and instead of rejoicing, all I wanted to do was sleep. I felt traumatized without the trauma. The hospital co-pays and credit card bills stretched like an endless river that we would never find the headwaters of. Even with excellent insurance, travel expenses, hotel rooms, and food away from home all add up. Because of the debt, I took on a second job and discovered that despite the brainless nature of the work, the supervisor and other employees made me feel needed and appreciated. Something I didn't always feel in my teaching job. I lost my resiliency. Every little criticism, and most of them were probably constructive, crushed me for days. If the dog didn't come when I called her, I felt unreasonably angry. My husband suffered from my moodiness. My kids suffered from my moodiness, and their suffering only made me angrier at myself, which made me feel more hopeless. Somewhere during my year of caregiving, I lost the ability to process emotions in a healthy way, and my body responded with pain long after the caregiving journey had ended. If I had sought emotional help earlier on, maybe I wouldn't have had to endure years of mysterious pain. When the pain hit, it was usually accompanied by a low-grade fever. I couldn't take a deep breath without extreme pain. And so I stopped breathing deeply. The pain would last anywhere from two to six weeks, and no doctor could figure out what it was or what caused it. My back sometimes looked swollen, and so I'd try to lay on ice packs. They helped a little. I couldn't taste food, nor did I want to eat very much because food hurt my stomach. And life, well, it just sort of lost its flavor. Eventually, the band of pain would loosen. It wasn't a heart attack. I went to the ER several times, and life would slowly return to normal. But the fear of the pain always lingered. I stopped working my second job. I read books on depression. They helped. And I should have gone to counseling, because I suspect now that the physical pain was my body's way of dealing with stress and emotional upheaval. Somewhere during my year of caregiving, I lost the ability to process emotions in a healthy way. And this is how my body coped long after the caregiving journey had ended. If I had sought emotional help earlier on, maybe I wouldn't have had to endure the pain for so long. So I know a little bit about pain, and I've come to the conclusion that physical symptoms are a warning light on your dashboard of life. We don't often associate physical pain with emotional or mental pain. But maybe we should. Our physical aches and pains might mask our emotional aches and pains. Medicating the former will do nothing to heal the latter. If a warning light comes on in your car, you don't ignore it. Unless you want to ruin your vehicle. You take your vehicle to a mechanic to get it fixed. If a warning light comes on in your life, don't ignore it. Take yourself to a mechanic. Whether that's a counselor, a therapist, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a treatment center... Whatever, as soon as possible. Don't wait until you've slid so far down in the pit of depression that life looks hopeless. You matter. You are infinitely valuable. You are irreplaceable. You have a job only you can do. And while you can't see it or feel it, you are loved beyond measure. No one should suffer physical pain or depression or live in a state of emotional bleakness. I've been there, and I know what it's like. But here's the funny thing. Even though I understand what it's like to live in depression, I'm not always the most considerate of other people who are going through hard times. In fact, I used to use the word should all the time. It felt benign and friendly. You should put your toys away before supper time. Always sounded kinder than put your toys away before supper. Telling someone what they should do sounded so much nicer than telling them what to do. It allowed me to hide my bossy nature from the world, or maybe just deny that I have a bossy nature. And then our daughter entered the miasma of severe depression, depression way worse than anything I had ever experienced. For six months, she struggled to get out of bed in the morning. We forced her to leave the house and locked the doors when we left in an effort to help her not wallow in darkness. She worked each day, under duress, as I volunteered a school in exchange for a room and board. We wondered where our self-motivated adolescent had gone. I started reading every book I could find on depression, moods, and eating disorders, and a book changed the way I felt about the word should. In Feeling Good, the New Mood Therapy by Dr. David D. Burns, I learned that should statements cause you to feel pressured and resentful. Paradoxically, you end up feeling apathetic and unmotivated. I'll leave a link to the book in the show notes. I went on to read that should statements can cripple someone who already feels down, opening the way for self-loathing and unrealistic expectations. More importantly, I realized I needed to change the way I spoke to others. If I wanted to act in an encouraging way, I needed to eliminate should from my vocabulary. I didn't need to burden my daughter or anyone else, including myself, with a sandbag of shoulds. Now, should has three different meanings. The first replaces the old-fashioned word shall. Should we go to a restaurant for supper, for example? If we started using shall instead of should, shall we go to a restaurant for supper? Folks might wonder what century we were born in. Should also replaces would in some instances. For example, I should think you would apologize. This instance borders on the bossy. and. We probably should eliminate that one. Eliminating the third use requires forming new habits of thought. You should pray more if you feel depressed. Not good. People who suffer from mood disorders don't need our self-righteous advice cloaked in a should. And how often do we do that? So here are three hacks to help you eliminate should from your vocabulary. Hack number one, we need to rethink before we talk. I hate it when people tell me what to do, even if they disguise it with a should. And that's when I'm feeling great, which means we need to rethink our propensity to suggest to other people what we think they should do. We need to ask ourselves, is my advice really necessary? Do I really know what I'm talking about? And how will this person react if they're feeling depressed? Hack number two, we need to respect their feelings and their right to feel the feels they feel. We want to enter into other people's worlds and come alongside of them, not dispense advice and spread guilt. So before you give a suggestion, especially if it involves the word should, think about whether or not that suggestion would feel respectful to you. Try it on for size before you use it. And hack number three, learn to rephrase. I learned to rephrase things. For example, instead of saying, you should do this or you should do that, I've started asking my adult children, would you like to hear my opinion? Or, would you like my advice? If they say no, I've learned to hold my tongue, which is no small feat. Another way you could rephrase it is to say, have you considered? And then lay out whatever it is that you would like them to consider. And if they don't want to consider what you offer, let it go. It took time, but I think I've done a pretty good job of eliminating the third form of should from my vocabulary. And believe it or not, my relationships with other people have improved because of it. Who would have thought eliminating one little word could do so much to improve my relationships? Don't forget the two points of today's podcast. The first point, if you were experiencing physical pain, Consider it a warning light on your dashboard. Is there some unresolved emotional dilemma that you need to work through? Where would you find the best help? Would it be from a doctor, a therapist, a counselor, a psychiatrist? Whatever it is, know that physical symptoms and mental angst are often related. You can check out Self-Care Hacks 089 and learn about the lessons I learned from the book, The Body Keeps the Score. I'll leave a link in the show notes. And then the three hacks for eliminating should from your life. Hack number one, rethink what you think you need to say and ask yourself, will my opinion really help the other person or will it just add another layer of guilt to their burden? Hack number two, we need to respect other people's feelings and whatever emotional state they're in. And hack number three, learn to rephrase suggestions and make sure that the other person is open to receiving them. Don't just blurt them out. Join me next week when I interview Janier Tromp, the author of the book, Shadows in the Mind's Eye, a thriller set in post-World War II Arkansas that you won't be able to put down once you start reading it. Janier will share the insights she learned about PTSD and healing from trauma and how the members of the greatest generation handled this before we had modern psychiatry therapists and counselors. Take care of yourselves, my friends. You are worth it. You can find me at selfcarehacks.net or check out the show notes for links to my social media accounts. If you enjoyed this podcast, take the time to tell a friend. Together we can build each other up and teach each other how to take better care of ourselves. I'll see you here next Tuesday with more self-care hacks to help you overcome the overwhelm.